Welcome to Dragon Talk. Yay! I am Greg Tito. That is Shelly Mazzanoble. Hi. This is the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast, and we're yes. very excited to have you here for this episode where we speak to Dr. Megan Connell. Yay! I love Dr. Megan. D&D playing clinical psychologist uh, doing all of the fun stuff of playing D&D in a clinical setting, and she wrote a book. She did. Tabletop Role-Playing Therapy, The Guide for the Clinician Game Master. And it's all about what we, you and I, love to talk about, Shelley. Mm-hmm. It is amazing to see how role-playing games such as Dungeons & Dragons can be part of a, your therapeutic practice and all of the profound ways in which they can help people feel better. Right. Role-playing is a big part of uh, the whole discipline of uh, sure. therapy and, and psychology. And now it's more... Uh, Got you know, got even more guidance from Dr. Megan Connell from from lived in experience that she's had, and she has uh, I, every conversation that I've ever had with Dr. Megan has been enlightening, um, eye opening. I expect nothing less than uh, this interview that we are about to have with her. Exactly, and uh, it's it's amazing to connect back with her after we didn't speak with her for many years, but we wrote uh, an essay about the interview um, we did with her yeah. um, in Welcome to Dragon Talk. So it's great that it's full circle. Yeah. And she wrote a book that we did talk about. It's just like um, everybody's everybody's writing books. They let anyone write a book these days. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody with a really cool idea and some good writing uh, skills as well as all the teams behind them. And a love of D&D. And a love of that. D&D. I mean, d and super hot right now because, of course... There's the Dungeons and Dragons movie out there for you to partake in. So exciting. So exciting. What a great weekend it was for everyone to be able to check out Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope so too. I did. As much as we I did. I saw it again um, the opening weekend with a Quinn and two of his buddies and Bart. And it was just so fun to be there as an audience member and just feel the excitement of the audience and be among other D&D fans and and then feeling just new fans becoming new fans like you could feel it in the air it was that exciting but they were it's being just, converted on the fly into yes. uh dice rolling D&D fans yes and just like hot, the buzz of excitement uh coming out of there you know like going to a movie is kind of a D&D experience and that it's a collective experience yeah. that you're 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 having with all of those people together. Like we're all laughing at the same jokes and we're all, oh, and like cooing over the really cute parts that of course made me cry again. The tabaxi. Can we finally say there's a tabaxi baby? Not just a drunky two-shoes wannabe in there, but a child, a little baby. I mean, that's that's what Drunky and Daryl looked like when they were babies. Oh. And of course, we get uh, uh, Roger Jean Page's uh, paladin character. He gets to save the baby, uh, the tabaxi baby. And what better way to show that Literally he is a... saving the cat. A you know lawful good saving of the cat as uh, in our interview with with Jeremy last week uh, it's talking all about that right it's amazing yes I was just so excited so 
There's a lot of tie-in <sighs> things out there if you want to get the magic cards with the D&D party characters on yeah. them. Go grab that. Uh, those are up for pre-order on the Secret Lair website for Wizards of the Coast. You can jump in and grab the uh, amazing character sheets of those characters and play with them at your table. You might even want to pick up keys from the Golden Vault and play through Prisoner 13 yep. and uh, dra- grab that adventure for free on D- or for, at no cost at dndbeyond.com uh, to experience what it was like to be a prisoner in Revel's End as shown in the first few scenes in that movie. Exactly. So live out those heist dreams. Oh, eh, so it's a good. good time to be a D&D fan. And then, of course, we got to talk about D&D Direct, uh, which had so much amazing stories through it. The Minecraft uh, DLC oh looks so fun and cool. I know I'm going to love playing through it. It's basically like a, uh, you know, a single-player RPG that you can play in the Minecraft universe using all the D&D stuff. It's, it warms my heart because you know what that means. Or kids are probably going to be right now or no, soon. We'll soon. Be, yeah, spring 2023. It'll we'll be, be playing... Soon. D&D on Minecraft. Exactly. And uh, the virtual tabletop looked really cool. Oh my God. How cool is that? Seeing everyone play through that looked really fun. Just enhancing the play around the table. Like they weren't even in different locations. Um, I just love that we got to show that as well as how we can bring people in from all over the world playing together using that. Uh, That'll be coming more this year. And then all the great story stuff uh, that Chris Perkins and Jeremy Crawford were talking about in the books to come for D&D. Yeah. What's what's your favorite little bit from that? I was super excited to see Tony Dieterlizzi's beautiful art Me too. being a part of uh, the upcoming Planescape setting, and how excited fans were to also see that as well. So I already look forward to our Dragon Talk interview with Tony, which I'm sure will. We'll schedule here. We should he's, totally. That's a great idea. It's good to revisit with him. He was yes. so fun last time we talked to him. Oh, he's just. Such a, a delight. So, um, and it's just great to see that art. And even people who weren't, um, did not, were not maybe familiar with earlier editions, they were all just like, whoa, that art. I don't know what it is, but I love it. Like, you know. There's a reason. There's yeah, a reason why you love it. There's a reason why you love it. Um, I know. And I like how it's it's Tony, but it's not Tony from the 90s. It's Tony from now. Yes. Right? It Present is, day it Tony. Is, it is uh, bringing all of the stuff that he's learned over you know decades and decades of being an illustrator and an artist and coming up with his own uh, character thing. So more yeah. to come uh, on that front uh, uh, later this year in 2023 and then even more in 2024 with Vecna and his hand. And perhaps his eyeball playing a big deal in things to come. So I love that little story nugget. And speaking of story nuggets, uh, some friends of ours on the magic, the gathering side of things are doing a story podcast, which I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to give a shout out to them. If you're interested in storytelling, a little bit, uh, you know, fantasy storytelling that's different than Dungeons and Dragons, but you love just hearing about lore and 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 how... Uh, the stories are brought to life on the magic side. Go ahead and check that out. They have uh, really well-scripted and well-edited story uh, and lore episodes for you to grok right now. And uh, there's a lot of great things happening in the magic, the gathering story, different and separate from Dungeons and Dragons, but worth checking out. But definitely could be inspiration for your games because right? this is going to be really cool storytelling lore. And I think that's what you all are kind of into. That's what we've heard. I yeah, just right? feel like maybe that's something you might be into. 
cool. You got the, you know, Ravnica and Strixhaven already in D&D terms. And uh, hopefully we can bring more of those to life um, in the future. Very, really cool. But in the meantime, I'd like to sit down on a couch uh, and a pillow and uh, talk about my problems with Dr. Megan Connell. Do you, do you think we have some time to delve into that? I do. And I think you don't even need to lay on a couch because one time I had a hallway conversation with her at GameholeCon and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just like in passing, like I'm going to go look deep within myself now. So but yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's, let's have a chat. Look deep within ourselves uh, and all of you at the same time while listening to this interview. Okay. Everyone, let's welcome Dr. Megan Connell to Dragon Talk. Yay! Yay! <laughs> so excited to have you back. It's so, so nice to be back. It it was a while ago that I talked to you guys last. It was. Yeah. It was. It when, was. When was it? Right now, I want to go in the way back machine. I probably should look that up like, ahead of time. I think it was 2017. No, really? I think so. That Gosh. is six years. A yeah, lot, a long time. A lot's happened. I think a little, in, a little bit has happened in that time. Yeah. It feels so catch like us up. Sooner. What happened in yeah. six years? Uh, yeah. so what have you been you doing? You wrote a book. That's the least I've, one big thing. I've written a book, yeah, and uh, opened my own uh, psychology practice with my colleague, Dr. Kelly. We have uh, HealthQuest Innovative Therapeutics. We're, we're so excited. We're going to have a whole D&D room. Like we, our <gasps> okay. group room is going to be completely themed. We're trying to make it a wizard's library. Oh. Wow. Where we're going to run groups out my of. My goodness. Not a Wizards yeah. of the Coast library, but a wizard's library? Wizard's like, library. Oh. Mana bottles and minis and other cool things on display. Like, it's going to yeah. look like Greg's Greg's office. Basically. It is. It is, is going to really look like Greg's office, which I know the podcast you know, viewer, listeners can see some <laughs> yeah, Visual, <laughs> yeah, right. It's always great to describe visuals on an audio podcast. But I, that sounds really exciting. Are you going to have like a uh, uh, bubbling and, uh, you know, uh, dry ice being uh, delivered to your house every, or to your office every day? You know, quite probably, like, we like having smoke machines. We like having visual effects. Um, even, like, one of the things we're getting into, too, is, like, having, like, scents in the office to kind of help mm. people feel relaxed mm. and ready to join in and stuff. And I know there's, like, uh, I think you guys have had some of the folks on who do, like, the candles. D&D candles. Yes, cantrip candles and using yes. their scents and things. It's Fantastic. They're really so excited. wonderful. I still like. I I have only just a tiny bit left of the Witchlight Carnival scent that they made for us that I I use very sparingly, but it's delightful. Oh, it's so nice. Yeah, yeah. It's like cotton candy. It is <laughs> cotton candy, popcorn, no garlic fries though. They they took the garlic fries out, but it it wasn't. It was in the initial <laughs> the initial. What do you call it? Flavor notes. Flavor like, note. The initial draft of the scent. Samples. Wow. Yes, they actually, they're amazing. So anyway, yay. Awesome people. But yeah, yeah, so that that's going on. And then they got the book coming out next week, which is so thrilling. And you guys had a book come out too. We did. And you were, and you were in it. And you're so in it. it all comes full circle. Yeah. I didn't realize I was in it and I was at the gym working out and like I got to the show. I was like, what? Oh, yeah. We oh. might have forgotten to tell people. <laughs> Some people are like, all these people have been emailing me about your book. I had no idea I was in it. Like, Darn it. Forgot that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, well, that's a great surprise though. Hopefully it was a, yeah, a good surprise. <laughs> what, did you fall off the treadmill when you, when you realized? 
I you luckily I was not on the treadmill at that point. I was sitting down and stretching and I was just like, what? What on earth? <laughs> it's like, this is weird. Life is weird and it's cool. <laughs> yeah. I, such a good chapter too. I quote you all the time, like several. Oh. I mean, I, I should say I misquote you probably. So <laughs> it's rephrase. good. It's been six years, Megan. Um, yeah. But also not quite that long because I do remember running into you at GameholeCon and yes. having a really great conversation. And I think you were maybe doing a talk or a panel about the how like what we, the characters we create and how it's a reflection of our ourselves and I was like oh I don't think so and I started telling you about one of my characters and you were like uh-huh and, what is, and I was like <laughs> <laughs> like halfway through I was like oh shit yeah okay I gotta okay, go deal yeah. with some stuff bye <laughs> yeah it's so funny like when I'm giving those talks and talking about what we learn from characters you know my my favorite thing to do is ask everybody in the room is like okay so like remember all the different characters you've created over the years and now imagine them all at a you know in a party together, and just watching everybody's face, it's like that's that moment where like oh oh no, <laughs> there there's my thing I need to work on, and how difficult that is, and <laughs> it it's so fascinating the stuff that we learn about ourselves through playing this game, and like I, I'm so excited that I got a chance to write this book and to you know my my big hope with this book is to be building a bridge between psychology and gaming. Mm. You know, I, it's a technically it's an academic professional book written for counselors and psychologists and therapists. Um, but I also wanted to use language that was going to be accessible to people who just play, because I, a lot of people who play want to understand, like, why is it that this game makes me feel so much? Right. I want right. to know that. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, you know, I did a lot of dives into the literature and looking at things and, you know, trying to bridge that gap. And so maybe like, hopefully I'm my hope is that some psychologists will want to start using tabletop games more in their therapy. And maybe some more gamers are like, maybe I could do this psychology thing and we can build the geeky gamer psychology world even more. I love that because there is so much uh, history with role-playing in psychology, right? Like even in in Mm -hmm. the the birth of that discipline, there was a role-playing back and forth, right? And it's so funny that we've gone, you know, away from that for so long and then now coming back. Like, what? talk a little bit about that and how, how you yeah. approached it in this book. Yeah, no, it, it is this interesting thing. We do a lot, a lot of role-playing. Like, um, even in grad sc- school training, like, as we're learning interviewing skills and how to teach different modalities mm. and stuff, it's a lot of just role-play in the classroom. Like, who's going to role-play the therapist? Who's going to role-play the client? And it's miserable, <laughs> right? And, like, I think that's been the issue in a lot of psychology practices where like we know that as you practice a skill you get better at it like the first few times you practice something you're going to suck at it until you practice it enough and then you get better and so like it's this thing though in the classroom it's just so awkward because you're role-playing yourself basically or you're trying to figure out a character um and one of the studies i came across for the book was really interesting where a psychology professor was like, these role-playing sessions that I have to do as part of my curriculum always suck. And my students (laughs) don't want to do them and they're (laughs) terrible. And so basically what they did was they made a character sheet for the client that they were going to role-play for the entire semester. And he said, people learned more. They were more willing to engage in the role-play. There wasn't the awkwardness at the beginning. It was like they grabbed the sheet. They read through the lines. They were of like, okay, here, that's right. This is this person's history. This is what they're struggling with. They would sit down and be able to play the client 
and let people practice the skills of therapy, being a therapist so much more. And like, it just like, to me, that shows us like having a character, getting to not have to be yourself in a situation really opens you up to this experience where you could be like, okay, it's not me. Mm-hmm. So if this sucks. Like, it's not a reflection on me. It was the character I was playing had a bad experience, right? Like, you know, it's that thing of the, the successes belong to the player, right? Where if somebody role plays mm-hmm. something and they're really clever being like, that was super clever. You did a great job, right? Whereas the failures can belong to the character. It's like, man, your character really thought they knew what was going on there, didn't they? And they just didn't. It's like, yeah, yeah, they, they can get really stuck in that. <laughs> And like, it is just, it's so fascinating because like the other side of that too is that when we talk about our memories from gaming, we don't talk about our characters doing something, right? It's like, do you remember that time we did this thing? Mm -hmm. And like, even though we have that, you know, psychological kind of distance where we don't feel like it's us in the game, the memory that gets encoded and stuck in our brain is like, this is us, which that's really fascinating and interesting to me. Um, and more research needs to be done. <laughs> totally does. Yeah, because the, as you're describing that role playing and, and, and having them create a character <laughs> to ha- have in this thing, I wonder how many times they were aligned, right? Where some yeah. the person who was playing that in that class might have had some of those neuroses or things that are that are being role played and then having that connection and that's that's essentially what happens each time we create a character just like Shelley was saying it's mm-hmm. like no none of my characters are like me but wait maybe but they wait. are <laughs> and, and and that is where the fascinating thing comes in cuz you're like it's great to have the lines of like oh this is a character mm-hmm. and this is me but then they get blended yeah yeah and and it's just so cool and like I, I, this is like the perfect place too to talk about this one study that I came across mm. that it was a theoretical paper, but talking about like how do we define reality and what is real? And right. you know, essentially like what is real is what we agree upon is kind of the really quick way of defining it. Um and so to that extent though, when everybody is sitting around a gaming table and playing this story, that story's real. Those right. characters are real in a very like lived experience kind of way. And I think that's just so fascinating. And it to me, it was really nice because uh, over the pandemic, we wrapped up a uh, ongoing D&D campaign that I was part of. We got to level 20. We did it. Nice. Um, Congrats. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. That's a, an accomplishment. Um, I've never done that. Yeah. You, it, it you was did really that, not cool. your character. You did that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like, it, it was so cool. But like, also it was so in a lot of ways, hard to let go of that character because, like, she was so much fun and I loved playing her and, you know, she'd really earned her 20th, like, really gone through hell and back to get there. And, like, it's so kind of cool to think about how, yeah, in some sense, she is real and she continues on. Her life continues on even after we've put down the dice and we've stepped away. And that's a really cool thing to think about. Yeah. After the... Oscars and watching everything everywhere all at once too. Like I feel mm-hmm. like we somehow have tapped into a multiverse whenever we play Dungeons and Dragons because it's like it's yeah. the the possibility of <laughs> my uh, per, you know personality or soul or whatever you want to call it what it what it could be in different circumstances, right? And that's kind of what mm-hmm. we're experiencing when we play. Each each different character we play is a different shard of reality. Exactly. And that's kind of to get back to therapy piece. Like that's the therapy of it. It's like, how do you want to change? And let's play that out. 
Like if you want to be more outspoken, if you want to be braver, if you want to be more of a decision maker, let's put that in your character and try it on in a place where there's no consequences. Because if we think like outside of like high school, if we change our personality too much on a day-to-day basis, everyone's like, are you okay? Like, <laughs> okay with you? Right now? But like in the game, you know, you, you can play a character for a while. Then after a bit, be like, you know what? This doesn't feel good. I don't like this. I want to be more, maybe more like me, or I want to move in this direction instead. And we could try on these different hats and these different ways of interacting in this really consequence-free environment that is so supportive and wonderful for people. Is that how it, or I guess maybe one of the ways that it works in therapy is to actually take somebody's, like something that they're they're challenged by or or a skill that they're trying to develop and actually put that into their character? Is that exactly? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's sort of interesting because it's a lot of the book too is basically like don't make the mistakes i made um (laughs) yeah it's like i have i've pioneered this roads and found the potholes so you don't have to um (laughs) but my early groups it was a lot of like okay explicitly like person a you need to work on this skill so let's have your character be good at this skill um and i think that that was successful but it was also very stressful for the players Right. Because it's like I have, I know I need to be working on this thing, and I'm not very good at it. And you know, it's asking them to stretch, but not in a way that's necessarily unhealthy. But it also does create some resistance there. What I move to later, and what I think is the more effective way, is you know, my groups are explicitly a therapy gaming group, and so it's, I sit down I'm like, hey, we are in therapy. This is a therapy group. We're going to be tackling emotional stuff through your characters. So your character is going to encounter a bunch of challenges that they have to overcome, and it's going to change them. What I want to know from each of you is how do you want your character to emotionally grow and change over the course of this campaign? And when the players can come up with that, they get the agency and the control over what we're going to be working on. Yes, if they're like, I want to learn how to be more decisive. You know, my character, I want them to um, trust people more. I want them to speak up more. I want them to, a few, many people have been like, I want them to take the back seat more and not trust other people to take the lead. And so it's like, okay, now I'm, I have permission as your game master to weave those things into the story and to give you those opportunities to practice those skills. Um, And I also, (laughs) I brought my players a little bit. Um, whereas like, I'm going to make a custom magic item for your character or find a magic item that exists already that fits your character really well. And if you can achieve your character's emotional growth point, you get the magic item. So it kind of incentivize people to encounter and to tackle this stuff, which is really fun. So like, so then are you building encounters in such a way to, uh, like put, put those challenges in front of them where they will get a chance to try out those skills? And is it obvious to them what you're doing? Uh, yes, and sometimes would be the answer. Okay. So uh, so call it building a therapeutic encounter. So let's say okay. um, we're working on trusting people, right? Where it's like, I want to learn how to trust people. It's like, okay, cool. Uh, here's an opportunity. You can split the party up and you go on one side and you have to, tr- and I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is have the, you guys leave the room. And you have to trust that the three people who are left in the room are going to do what they say they're going to do, and then we're going to swap and role play it out, right? Okay. They might say no, right? 
Um, then it's like, okay, fine. We don't have to do that. And then again and again, but like, because they gave that consent to say like, I want the character to grow in learning how to trust people. I have kind of permission to, to call it out and just to be like, Hey, player a remember you did say you want your character to learn how to trust people. And this is a really cool opportunity for them to practice that it might fall through. It, it might not work, but you know, they can practice trusting people and here's an opportunity to, I'm not saying that it will go perfectly if they do, but right. you have the opportunity here. Yeah. Cause I mean, at what point are you just like, if you want them to trust people and you give them a situation where they could do that, then I, you probably aren't relying on dice necessarily for the outcome. Like, Oh, actually they were fooling you all along because then that's like seems terrible to do to somebody who was trying to work on trust. So I guess like where, how do you craft this so I, that there's, it I still probably feels... would have, have dice in there. Like, okay. cause it, it wouldn't be a no stakes thing. Right. So it might be like, um, we're going to trust these NPCs to go up the mountain and deliver this stuff. Okay. Right. And we are going to roll some dice to see how successful they are. Um, and we're okay. not there to micromanage it, but you know, it's like they're gonna the NPCs are gonna try, right? But they might not be successful. So the trust is in letting them try. <clears throat> it's not necessarily like well that they're gonna be what they're doing or, something, yeah, to you. Deceiving. It's just mm-hmm. like, yeah, like kind of letting that control go and like you can you can do this thing, knowing full well there is success and there's failure potential. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. That's yeah, really and I think amazing. Like, I think the thing in this too is like for the therapist is like we want to be realistic in it, right? Because like if somebody's learning to trust, right, they're probably doing that because like they've been burdened, you know, like they've had betrayals in the past or reasons to not trust people. And so it's this thing of like how do we teach healthy levels of trust? Because you don't want to just go around and trust that everybody out there is going to do exactly what they say. Right. Um, There's that too. That's not going to happen. So it's like, okay, how do we develop our insight? You know, if we're mm. doing an insight check on somebody, like, and this is where we can we can talk about it and brainstorm as a group. Like, what are the clues that tell us that somebody is potentially lying to us? What are, you know, if if they're saying stuff that sounds too good to be true, if, you know, like, what, what are the things, what are some things that we could say, like, are trustworthy? Because, like, the other thing, too, that we might encounter in the game is maybe there is an NPC who is very trustworthy, but incredibly unskilled. <laughs> you know, so we've got like a party of level 10 players and here's the level one NPC being like, I can do it. I can go face the dragon. It's like, mm. you're willing. I get that you're going to try, but oh boy, are you going to fail? And so how do we put our trust and faith in the right places? That's interesting from a parenting perspective for me because I'm like a lot of yeah. <laughs> uh, the conflict that I and my wife have when they were toddlers was like, I was all about like, okay, they have to understand risk. They have to understand that something is going to be dangerous. Obviously, I'm not going to let them hurt themselves, but uh, permanently. But a little bit of hurt is it was okay in my mm-hmm. mind because it was like, oh, that's the teaching. That's how they know that they have to do that. And um, you know, and sometimes my wife was like, no, 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 we have to make sure that they're safe at all times. I'm like, well, wh- where's the thing? And so I think this is getting into that a little bit of like, oh, okay, there has to be some consequences, even though there are game consequences for, mm-hmm. for, for their actions. And I think that's that's the, the muscle that you're teaching there, right? Exactly. It's that nuance, right? And like, I, I think one of the most powerful games I ever ran was this one where, um, Shelly, I think you, I, you actually heard this story before, where they um, 
we're having to sneak in and steal the hand of Vecna from a black dragon. Mm. Um, and uh, dangerous, <laughs> very dangerous, very very dangerous. Uh, so they were sneaking in. They really obviously failed their stealth check. I don't think anybody rolled above a twelve on Oof. stealth. And so the, the, I narrated. They saw the dragon in the sky coming down towards them. And mm. I, in my my head, I'm like, this is the point where they run. And they're like, we're going to negotiate. <laughs> Like, oh boy. Okay. Oh. <laughs> you know, and I it, it took a lot for me not to be like, are you sure you guys don't want to just run away here? Like we should maybe run. Um, but they didn't. And it came down like they were able to negotiate, but like what ended up happening was they had three really terrible choices in front of them. Mm. Like there was no good choice. And this we processed for a good half hour on how like that's very lifelike though. That like a lot of movies and media will show us that we have like this beautiful good choice with like the you know heavenly music and the bad wrong choice that's gonna you know, hurt you. When really it's like there's this kind of bad choice, this kind of bad choice, and this kind of bad choice. None of them are great, but none of them are the worst thing ever. Yeah, and, and you have to choose the least bad for mm-hmm. you at that moment. Ex- Exactly. And so it was real, like the, the group was cry, actually like having tears and crying and having to process through what they were going to do. Um, and, and it was a very powerful discussion. And it was a lesson that really got into them. And like, it was interesting too, because one of the players was very willing to sacrifice themselves. And it, and uh, fortunately, they did let the group come in and be like, no, you're not doing this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that player came back the next week and was just like, "Ah, uh, I looked up the stats on the hand of Vecna because <laughs> uh. they were gonna, they were gonna let the dragon put the hand on them." <laughs> oh, yeah, so that's powerful. Uh, and, also yeah. terrifying. Yes, yeah, um, and, and they were, you know, they were like, we we had a little talk of like what that might have looked like in the game if I had allowed that to happen, and they're like, "I recognize I do this in life a lot. I get an idea in my head." And I stop thinking about the consequences and I just charge right in. It's like, yeah, like that could be <sighs> really bad, right? And like recognizing like, okay, I got to recognize how not to get pulled into this stuff and not mm. because like that could have had such terrible consequences for my character. And, you know, I was like, quite frankly, your character probably would have died. <gasps> like, like oh, I, I was wow. like, I'm, and they're like, oh my God, and I love my character so much. I'm like, there would have been a path back but like right. it would have been a struggle. Um, and, you know, so recognizing that for them and, and it was such a great insight. But again, this came from this moment of the group did something I wasn't prepared for, <laughs> but I was willing to let go of the reins. And I think for a lot of just dungeon masters and game masters out there and psychologists, especially when we're doing these therapeutic interventions, it could be so hard to let go of the reins and just trust in the story to take it somewhere meaningful. Like I hadn't been, the lesson I had been planning on that night was working together. Mm. Like I wanted the group to creatively problem solve, work together and learn to rely on the skills of other people. We ended up learning about life decisions. And I think that was better in the long run. And so learning how to let go of control like that can be very, very powerful. Huh? Yeah. So I, I, something that's kind of clicked in my brain as we we're talking about this, and that you know, a lot of people describe dreams, for example, and mm-hmm. they're like, you know, these random, you know, seemingly random amount of images and things. And we as humans always want to create a story from that, and sometimes even like a lesson, or, or oh, that's what that means in my life right now. Yeah. 
And in some ways, that's kind of what you do in in these sessions, right? Where it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, there is lessons and things to be learned here, but the randomness of what could occur or not necessarily the randomness, but the choices that they make could create a lesson or a story and you have to like trust in in that happening in mm-hmm. an organic way. Because if you try to ham fist what you wanted to teach with what was happening, it wouldn't have worked, right? So you, like it's it, it, exactly what you said, like it's giving up the control, but also the control of what, uh, you know, adage or or lesson or moral you might be trying to get across in in that particular story can change and shift based on on what's occurring. Exactly. Yeah, hundred percent. Whoa, that's so cool. It is. Um, so I know uh, that you might uh, put these groups together or, or run these therapeutic games for people who have already had a diagnosis or or they're already mm-hmm. aware of something that they're they're working on. Have you ever or do you know of people who use role-playing games as a way to diagnose what's going on with someone. Oh, that's really good. I I don't yet, but like I think that would be a really interesting thing. I think there's some possibilities there, yeah. Shelly, talk, yeah. talk about your characters and see if... Uh, <laughs> so hypothetically. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, and actually, like, uh, there's another gaming system called... Um, Oh, I'm going to forget it right now. I'll think of it in a moment. But um, a psychologist actually developed this gaming system mm. and they created, made the uh, character creation process to basically mimic a personality test. Ooh. Oh, I love that. Yeah, which I, I thought is really cool. It's based on existential psychology and that the group always has to work together, which it, it's a really interesting mechanic. So you don't get the lone wolf. It's like... If you can go right or left, and two people want to go left, two people want to go right, you don't go anywhere until the group makes a decision. Mm. And so there's really like the the creators of the system uh, really threw some you know thought behind this of like how it could be potentially diagnostic, because yeah, I think there could be some some diagnostic stuff there. You also work a lot with young people, right? Like, mm-hmm. and and how does that change your approach to to uh running these games it doesn't change the approach all that much actually i'm trying to think like Mm. the language i use maybe is a little more simplistic um something i always try to have is multiple ways to solve a problem uh that's something i've learned too as being a game master and gender master is like if the only solution is you got to kill your way out it's not fun Mm. like um in the campaign that I played in where we went to level 20, we faced a beholder and it went bad it, it went badly. <laughs> um but the way our dungeon master uh orchestrated the fight was we basically fell into a pit where it was mm. and we could not escape. And it was really interesting when we hit this point in the the fight where I was like, guys, we can't get out of it. Like this killing this thing is the only option we have. Because like it wouldn't reason with us and it that was not fun. Like mm. that took away the fun. And I was like, I want to make sure. And to my Dungeon Master credit, he's gotten a lot better at making sure that there are multiple ways out, multiple ways to solve problems since then. He was, we we're all learning. Um, but that was a big time learning moment for all of us who run games to be like, okay, we got to make sure there's always a different path, that there's always a different way to, to solve the problem. And like with the younger players, the creative stuff they come up with is so wonderful and it's so ridiculous and i just i love how kids solve problems like um 
in the style of therapy I do, we call it this idea like fuse, fused thoughts where we just get very bought into like it has, this is what this is going to be. And teenagers especially, like they're, they're willing to try all kinds of different things. And it's so much fun. It is so fun to see what kinds, kinds of things people come up with. I So I've been DMing for kids, um, 9, 10, 11-year-olds mostly. And I there's so many things I want to ask you about what like a pattern that we are mm-hmm. just noticing like so interesting about them. But one of the things that I realized last week that I think is so special and cool about D&D is they are in charge. Nobody is really telling them what to do. And it's probably one of the few places in a nine-year-old's life where they can be their own boss and they can make terrible decisions, but they're their decisions. And I realize like there's, it always seems like there's a couple of players that are like struggling against the rest of the party. Like they want, they, they want to do the wrong decision. And it's mm. like, so I can't help but think like, well, what's going on in your life that makes you want to do these things? But I think it's really just like, they're good kids. They're such mm-hmm. good kids that it's like, it feels really fun to just be a little naughty. I just don't want to always do the right thing. And I can totally relate to that. Lord of the Flies yeah. is basically yeah. what's happening in this game, right? Yeah. Like, well, honestly, that the character that I played up to level 20, that was her. Right. I was like, I am a very thoughtful, meticulous person. Like I try to think through things all the time. I was like, I want to play an impulsive character who just does what they want when they want. Yes. That's like, <clears throat> you really helped me get to that. Like when, yeah. after we had our conversation about like, think about the people, the characters that you're creating and playing. And there were like two, like really like archetypes that rose to the top. And the one that I'm just fully embracing it's that impetuous one that's just like, like when wild magic was a thing, I'm like, yes, I want that. <laughs> I I don't want to think all the time. I don't want to be in control. I don't want to have to worry about actions and impacting other people and missing appointments and not scheduling things. And oh my God, what if we run out of sailing solution? I don't care. <laughs> I go, I come here to D&D <laughs> to just like make bad decisions and like probably yeah. talk to the wrong person <clears throat> and give up too much information and just, I don't care. And it feels so good. And I think that's like what I see with these kids too. And like, yeah, it's just so fun for them just to be like, you're not the boss of me. You're just my dungeon master. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, And it's, it's cool though, too, because like, I don't know if this has been your experience, Shelly, playing that, but like, through playing for so long that character there i came to a point where i'm like man i am so glad i'm thoughtful and i think through the consequences of my actions before i do them because boy oh boy has my character gotten into a lot of trouble yeah <laughs> it's yeah. a cautionary tale <laughs> it's yeah i i think in my case i'm like thank god i have this outlet to just yeah do that and not ever feel like in real life that i'm just gonna just explode and just not do, not be thoughtful about something. Yeah. Well, that agency I think is really important for, well, for everybody really, because I think that's mm-hmm. part of what is fascinating and alluring about role playing is that you can do something that isn't you or isn't the choices that you have made all the way up until that point, right? Like, and so mm-hmm. for kids, it's very much what you're describing, Shelly, of like, I, I can direct, very few times in their life can they direct their play and or 
just um, interactions with adults, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they get to do that then. But then also, I think that's really important for, for you know, the topic of your book, uh, Dr. Megan, because it is like they they can unlock a little bit, right? They can be a little bit different. And how they are different informs who they are and who they uh, have been before they even get to the table, right? Yeah, yeah. And it can change their definition of self. You know, like, um, you know, I've had players before who are just again, incredibly anxious and thinking through everything and methodical and all this. And um, one of my favorite like supplemental products to D&D is Gemhammer and Sons Deck of Wonder, which Mm. is a deck of 100 cards that makes random things happen. Oh, fun. Oh, it's so fun. It's like stuff like all of a sudden it starts raining raisins. Like, (laughs) 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 yeah. (laughs) Um, Or a kobold named Jerry suddenly appears next to you. Oh, Jerry, what's up? Yeah, we do love um, kobolds. It's it's a great, great, really fun product, and uh, I would give my anxious players a, de- a want their own special wand of wonder, which seven times per day they could do it and pull a, a card from the deck and make something happen. And if they directed the wand at themselves, it happened to them. If they directed the wand at somebody else, that's who it happened to. Mm. Um, we did make a rule though that the person had to kind of had to agree that they yeah. were okay with Consent. getting the random thing. Um, yeah. Because sometimes it would <laughs> like one of the cards is like everybody who has not met you perceives you as a donkey wearing a top hat for the next day. These <laughs> 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 are amazing. Yeah. It, it's right wonderful. And it, it's so fun to see people who have been like so constrained by like, I have to do the right thing all the time to suddenly be like, I am now an agent of chaos and my yes. job is to sow chaos into the world. And like, essentially they, they become Loki and like, <laughs> they love it so much and it's so fun for them. And, and it's just great to see them kind of step out and be like, Oh, I don't, you know, and like, it, it's if you know, we're all the way to one side and our character is way more to the other, what ends up happening over the course of playing is we pull both more towards the middle. You know, okay. and we find the more healthy balance of like, I can be thoughtful and meticulous, but also understand sometimes I just can cut loose and have fun and not worry about the consequences so much. Yeah. And sometimes you, the consequences are out of your control or like the choice is out of your control. Like that's a huge one. Just be like, you can't worry about the weather necessarily mm-hmm. because you can't control the weather. Yes. <laughs> that's also a very important thing for them just to be like, oh, Right. Yeah. And I think the dice kind of present a little bit of that for them as well. Like this, you're not deciding the outcome of this. The dice are. And that does mm-hmm. feel a little bit freeing for them in that way. For, for sure. Anyone. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like dice are one of those interesting things too, because like it, it's hard. Like so often I think as, you know, Dungeon Masters, we feel like, oh, I have to have them roll for something. Right. But yeah. it's like, no, no, don't have them roll all the time. Like, if they have, if somebody has given a really moving speech or something, I'm not having them roll. Like, they yeah. did it. They they yeah. role played it. It's good. It worked. You know? Yeah. Um, I like that, too, especially if it's in line <clears throat> with the character's skill sets that they've designed, right? Mm-hmm. It, can, it can feel really crappy if you're like, all right, I gave this great performance, but I rolled a yeah. 14 when I needed a 15. And you're like, what does that mean? What does that teach you, right? So like, yeah, having some basic competency in characters is something I always encourage. Yeah. yeah. 
and I'm learning so much. <laughs> I, well, I, I roll too much as a DM, but that's good. well. Sometimes yeah. it can be a delaying tactic as you're thinking. Yeah, <laughs> maybe maybe that's what. It, yeah. Or I just feel like, oh, they're bored. They need to roll. Everybody yeah. roll. Yeah, and that's valid too, especially with kids. Yeah. Or like if they have done, like say they have given the good rousing speech, it's like you might, it's like you're going to roll your dice, you know, roll with advantage. So you're rolling twice in case you get that one. Um, but no, you did succeed. Like the minimum you got, no matter what is like say a 12 or a 14, right? Um, we're just seeing if you got higher than that, because like maybe you turned a few people who wouldn't have, even right. with a good speech you gave, you know, it's like well, we're okay. rolling for the degrees of success here. You've already succeeded. How much sense. did you succeed? And that can be a lot of fun, too. Mm-hmm. I've also noticed these kids really like to take damage. Like they <laughs> Take want damage? Take damage. Like, if there's six of them at the table, I'm like, oh, the monster. Oh, I don't know who it's going to attack. I roll a d6. Mm-hmm. And then they all go, hope it's me. Hope it's me. Me. Like, <laughs> get me. Get me. Yeah. And then they all, they walk around all banged up and bloody. I'm like... Y'all got healing potions and there's two paladins here and they're like, no, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm good. (laughs) So, okay. Is that just like a way to, I feel powerful. I feel heroic. I feel strong. Probably. And it's like a safe way to like kind of bandy that about. I don't know, but they just don't, they don't want my healing. So I don't know what to do. (laughs) Do you ever bring them to the, to, to unconscious? I have not yet. Ah, uh, yeah. That can be a powerful thing. I, I've um, talked about this story before where I had a player who played a reckless barbarian and they were going, <laughs> I uh, love the, um, was it the zombie T-Rex from Tomb of Annihilation? Oh, that's yeah. my favorite. That is my favorite monster. I make one tweak to it though in that I roll a D4 and that's how many zombies it, you know, lets out at the yeah, yeah. <laughs> at the start of every turn. Just like, big zombie that makes more zombies? Yes, please. Let's, let's have that. <laughs> um, but this character, like, their barbarian kept trying to go and just, like, 1v1 the T-Rex. <laughs> and, like, they kept falling. Like, they kept going to zero hit points. Oh, boy. And we had we had a cleric in the group, and the cleric would, would uh, bring him back up. But I think the cleric did it three times. Whoa. Wow. And the guy kept getting knocked down. And, like, I... And, again, like, they're... When you learn about, uh, in therapy, when you're learning about group stuff, like uh, Irvi Alam, who has the, the big tome of group therapy, talks about, like, trust in the group to teach each other. Yeah. Like, you got to trust that other people will teach the people the lessons they need. And so the the kid who was playing the cleric stood over the body of the barbarian and continued the fight. And the kid who was playing the barbarian is like, revive me, revive me. And finally, the kid who was the cleric is like, no, I revived you. Two times or three times or however many. Like, and you keep falling, like you keep running away from us. You're not following the plan we came up with. No, I'm not gonna waste my magic on you until the fight's over. I'm not gonna let you die, but I'm not going to revive you right now because you're not listening to us. Wow. Powerful. Yeah. That's <laughs> yes. And it's so, like that was exactly what that kid needed to hear. Well, know? how did he respond to that? Um, at first he was a little angry and he needed to take a minute and, and, but then like, he was kind of, he's like, okay, that makes sense. And then when they kind of had a confrontation when he was revived and they role played it, but then that did change his character. And like, from then on, when they went into fights, he was still foolhardy, but not foolish and disregarding their plans. And so there, 
there's really something powerful in that of like getting those lessons and being like, okay, yeah, it's cool to walk, you know, have no hit points, but also I don't like it when the, the monster hits me really hard and now I'm knocked out and I'm out of the, the fight for a few rounds. This, this doesn't feel good. Right. Yeah. And, and you mentioned before about like not having consequence, like be, being able to role play in a place where there's no consequences, but there is a social consequence there, right? Because that wasn't yeah, just, you know, the, the, the character that was experiencing that. It was two players that potentially could have had a conflict uh, about how yep. they were playing, right? And so there, there was some consequences there. And I'd like, I'd like that that was used in a way for, for learning and for good. Yeah. 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 And, you know, some important things happened there where, like, the player validated the other player. Of like, look, I'm not going to let your character die. Right. Right. But also, like, they put up their boundary and they're like, yeah. I, yes. I want to be listened to. And, the, you know, I want to be respected. And, like, where our char- characters are supposed to be a team, you're not on, you know, you're not alone. We're all here. We're working together. You know, and, like, that yeah. was really important. Yeah, like what a, a screenplay lesson, too. I know. Like, right? Like, that feels like an action yeah, movie. Like, oh, we have to work special. together in order to succeed. It's our only way. Yeah. Yeah. And it is a really powerful lesson for that cleric to, like, be brave and to stand up for themselves and like you said, establish that boundary and not have like the negative consequence. Like they, that has to feel really good to somebody yeah. who's who struggles with doing that. Cause that's I mean, boundary setting is is tough for a lot of people. So that has to that had to make that character or that person feel really, really good. Right. Not the character, the player. Right. The player. The player, player. player felt good. Character yes, probably yes. did too. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Uh, the, play, the character can be cooler about it, though, and be like, yeah. Right. It's like, I do, I do this all the time, like setting yeah. boundaries. <laughs> no, no big deal. It's one of my spells. It's called boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> just like wall just probably comes up. Probably not what a therapist wants to hear. Like, no walls coming up. No. Walls <laughs> a fence. It's a fence line. It's a fence. Yeah. Right. yeah. It's cool. Fence with a gate. The gate, we can let people through who we want, and then we can yes. push them back out if we need to. There you go. <laughs> I like it. Uh, so your book, let's go. The book is yeah. is is amazing. Again, Tabletop Role-Playing Therapy, a guide for the clinician game master. Yes. So tell us about... <laughs> So a clinician game master and how that differs from a really empathetic dungeon master, say. Yes. <laughs> like yeah. Our, dum- our dungeon masters are awesome and are wonderful, but they are not your therapists. Um, <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> again, yeah. cast set boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Cast set boundaries. Um, it is a helpful spell. Now, I, we want to make that definition because I think too often... I, I've, I've seen this even on like posts for, on Roll20 where somebody's like, I had this trauma and I want to play through this trauma in an, an, a D&D Ugh. game. And it's like, no, nobody. Mm. No, 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 no. Your dungeon master is not equipped to help you deal with that stuff. That's not appropriate. And while we can grow and, you know, we do grow and develop a lot through playing tabletop games, it's therapeutic, but it's not therapy. And so what, what does therapeutic mean versus what is therapy, right? Therapeutic means it feels good and it helps us have some insight or relief of emotional relief going through something. So like um, I started off my career trying to be a music therapist. And so like a lot of times playing music can be very therapeutic, just playing, right? The difference between that though and music therapy is that in music therapy, much like in applied gaming, 
you're using the music as a tool to teach a skill that doesn't have to do with music. And so in therapeutic gaming or applied gaming, as we call it, you're using the game as a tool to teach skills that aren't necessarily related to the game. They can be used in the game, but they're not related to the game. So teaching boundary setting, teaching how to, you know, embrace chaos a little bit, teaching how to speak up for yourself, teaching um, conflict resolution. You know, those are all things that we can teach through the game, but that aren't necessarily the goal of the game. Right. That's interesting. mm -hmm. Yeah. How, but, but how is that different uh, of a definition from a dungeon master who wants to use uh, information they know about a player and apply it to the story in a way that isn't necessarily therapy or even mm-hmm. therapeutic, but can impact that player's understanding of their their lives and their preconceptions? Mm-hmm. Uh, consent is the big, huge one there, right? Mm. So when uh, the players are coming to my table for a therapeutic game, I have consent from them and I talk about consent. And that's also part of why I ask, what? how do you want your character to grow? Because they're giving me consent to work on that skill in the group setting, right? Like I've heard there's so many stories of this where game masters bring up things from their players past and their players didn't know that they were going to do that. Yeah. Or like um, if you know that one of your players is arachnophobic and you're like, I'm going to have them fight all spiders and get them over their fear through exposure therapy. It's like, if they didn't consent to that, you don't do that. That's not cool. You know? And like, also you don't, if you're not a therapist and you're not equipped to help somebody unpack what can come up with their past, like don't do it. Like that's not <laughs> the right thing to do because stuff comes up that you, you're not even aware of. And like, I'm so, so thankful that Monty Cook made the consented gaming um, free PDF. If people have not gotten it, go, go get that for Monty Cook gaming. It's wonderful. Um, because like they have an awesome checklist in the back there of like different topics and like green, yeah, it's okay to be in the game. Yellow happens in the world, not in the game. Red, not even in the world. This is not here. Because, like, there's stuff that comes up, and it's not fun. You know, like, for your fun games that you're playing with your friends, the goal is fun. The goal is not to help so-and-so get over their arachnophobia. It's to have a good time. And if their good time is going to be spoiled by having too many spiders in the game, like, that goes against what the goal of the game should be. And that's not to say you can't put your your characters in danger or or yeah. anything like that, right? It's about it's about uh, we talked about this a lot when Van Richten's uh, uh, Guide to Raven Left was coming out too. Like it, consent is so important, especially <clears throat> when dealing with horrific uh, yes. elements, right? Like you have to be very clear about that, and perhaps even more so than than in uh, you know standard fantasy games. Mm-hmm. Well, Lauren Urban put it really well. She's like, just because I know the roller coaster passed its safety inspection doesn't make the ride any less fun. Mm. Right? That's true. And, true. That's yeah. really good. Yeah. Yeah. It's a perfect quote. Like she she nailed it <laughs> so well. Well there. done, Lauren. Yes, yes. She does good <laughs> things. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, you know, it's like we get that consent and we understand what's okay to be in the games. And like if somebody's like, I just don't like insects at all. It's okay to ask questions about that, you know, privately, not in front of everyone. Just be like, okay, so like with insects, like, is it like, can you see flies around a corpse? Would that be okay? Like, what's to, you know, help me understand what are the the levels? Yeah. Yeah. And like, 
But again, it's just we don't know what people have been through because like we just don't know what our what's going to come up. And like it I don't know, like bringing something in like if we're bringing something in that our friends have maybe been through, talk with them first. Always always talk with your players first. Um it's such a big big important issue. Like uh in my Sunday game, um we're playing a little uh definitely like a horror kind of thing. And he's just sent out like, Hey, body horror is going to be a thing in this, this arc. If that's an issue, talk to me. It's like, okay, cool. And that's all you need for these consents. you know, it's not, it doesn't have to be like exactly this NPC is going to be betraying the party in this way. It's like, no, you don't need to tell, talk about that, but it might be like, there's potentially going to be a betrayal in this, this campaign, you know, something. Oh, yeah. That's really smart. Right. You don't have to be, very prescriptive in the warnings, but you can be like, mm-hmm. here's, here's the content warnings that, that we can uh, work with and under. Um, mm-hmm. That's always really, you know, and that, that was going to be my final question. It was like, obviously your book is, is geared towards the clinician game master. Yeah. Um, but what can, you know, uh, game masters who aren't doing it in a clinical setting take away from, from this book as well as, you know, your, your, your thoughts and ideas here? Well, I think one, like we actually kind of hit on one of the big ones here, like with session zero stuff of, learning the consent and learning like why is this important because i think there's a lot of resistance to that idea and starting to unpack like okay here are the things that i might not be seeing i might not be thinking about that do impact um how people play and what's going on um and again like if you just want to understand like why does this game make you feel so many things like why does it you know why is it when you describe the npc that your players loved people are breaking down into tears and feeling very very sad like (laughs) What what's going on there? Um, and it can really help with that. And also, like, if you're interested in, you know, potentially wanting to become a, a clinician who uses this, you know, that it can be a great path to kind of start you thinking about how to do that and where to go for more training and just understanding all that goes into it. Because I go into the ethics of it. I talk about documentation, um, mark everything. I tried to really make this, like, a comprehensive look at, like, what it's like to have the lived experience of running therapeutic groups because so many books are just purely academic and don't talk about like what it's like to actually be a person doing the thing. Mm. And I wanted to make sure that this book talked about like, what is it like to be a therapeutic game master and writing, writing your clinical notes and talking to people to refer clients to you, how, how you market, how you do this stuff, because it's important to talk about the lived experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine it's not, that some patients are going to respond better to this type of therapy than others as well. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. There's no such thing as like the perfect therapy for everybody. Right. Or or that you need to have breakthroughs each session or that type of thing, right? Like there is like a moment of like, oh, well, I didn't really gain any insight from that particular session. I'm always just like, well, that's why you have multiple sessions and it's a regular thing. But maybe you did. And you but just you don't you know, know it yet. yet. Right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I cast unlock personality. <laughs> <laughs> Another great spell. I well, cast I true sight on myself. <laughs> yes. I lo- it's, it's that uh, moment, yeah. right? Well, I can't wait for more people to have that moment. Uh, yeah. And hopefully through using uh, tabletop role-playing in this way. I love that you're in some ways trying to turn it to spread this idea through this book, right? So that there could be more uh, clinicians out there who uh, maybe that's not your whole practices, you know, shtick. 
but you can mm-hmm. start to ha- start to do it, right? Start to have it, and 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 and. In, I, I think you know play therapy is is expanding and growing just like yeah. music therapy is, and I think there's yep. there's there's um, you know realms for this for, for for people out there who don't who, who might reject the normal like I'm going to lay down on this couch and talk about my mother type of way that's you know it's portrayed yeah. right which that's not Breaking how the therapy norms. is anymore yeah, yeah that's not what it's like <laughs> it really isn't and so this is this is fascinating I think more people. Uh, you know, getting this idea out there is is important. Yep, and I'm glad that you are at the helm of this, Dr. Megan. Thank you. <laughs> I'm very so excited. It's it's cool. It's one of those things of uh, it's awesome, also scary, but also cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, how can people find this book? Find out more about you. Uh, you know, sign up yeah. to to play in all of your sessions going forward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, the book is available anywhere books are sold. Um, it is also available as an audiobook the day that it releases, which is something I am super excited about. I have a uh, language-based learning disability, so audiobooks are a life thread to me. And I'm so happy that we were able to uh, get this to release same time as an audiobook. Uh, but that yeah, anywhere great. you get your books, yep. uh, you can get that. You can find me at hqpsych.com, healthquestpsych.com uh, is my practice. And I'm on all the socials as at Megan Seide. Uh, and I am very pleased because when I ordered your book, it said other titles you might like and Welcome to Dragon Talk came up. So, so excited to even like be that remotely close to you and your beautiful book. So, Oh, that's awesome. Yes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, right. And Welcome to Dragon Talk has that that uh, essay uh, from six years ago, you know, based on the interview from six years Lo- ago. Which is lovingly crazy. crafted, I will yeah. say. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Did you read the the audiobook? Did you get a chance to do that, or was there a performer? Oh, I did. No, no, I had don't don't have a person with a language based learning disability read out loud. Oh, that's what I was wondering. Yeah, <laughs> that's a nightmare scenario. <laughs> Even people who don't have that disability was really hard to do for our book. Yes, it is difficult, but uh, that's awesome. I love that there's an audiobook uh, yeah. out there. I'm totally going to consume it that way, as so many people do. Yep. Excellent. Well, thanks for coming back on, uh, Dr. Megan. This was fantastic. And uh, now I want to write all these spells that we were just making up. Uh, I on know. The oh, that you guys have to, like, in the next edition of D&D, though, I have to have you cast exposition as <laughs> the spell to fill in the NPCs on what you all have been doing. <laughs> Done. Legend lore. That's it. We'll just adapt that spell for, uh, for okay, yeah, here's what's here. <laughs> Here's what occurred. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. It is always a pleasure to get to talk to you. And Thank now you I got for having me. I got new material to quote for you now. I'm going to be so <laughs> smart at my next dinner party. <laughs> <laughs> Thank so you, fun. Dr. Megan. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. I love Dr. Megan Connell Yay. and everything she has to say. Um, if you're interested in the application of Dungeons and Dragons through her profession, definitely check out her book. Um, yes. Even if you're not, it's worth it just to, to kind of dig in. Seriously, you don't need to be a therapeutic dungeon master to appreciate this book. I've been flipping through it and finding really cool little nuggets. Just even, even as a person that's a dungeon master, such as myself. You are a dungeon master. Yes, you can find really cool stuff. Do you remember, did you ever watch Gilligan's Island? Yeah. Okay, do you remember? We're dating Jin- ourselves here at this point, but yes. Yeah. Um, my, my parents had it on all the time. Uh, I watched it on uh, Laserdisc. <laughs> I had to watch it to do like a thesis. And 
school. <laughs> so, no, we watched disc? it. We watched it live. Yeah, totally. Like when it was prime. <laughs> when it was first broadcast. <laughs> well, you remember Ginger, the movie star? Yeah. Okay, and she used to always say, like several times an episode, "I was once in a movie," and just to like throw out her little movie career stuff. But it was yeah. always like, and we had to create a potion out of blackberries and sand. And then they would do that in the episode. Like, yeah. so her, anyway, I feel a little bit like Ginger because several times an episode, I feel like I have to talk about being a dungeon master. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, well, when I'm I like, was a dungeon master. I was once a dungeon master and this thing happened. You drop it into every conversation that you have at Trader Joe's, for example. And I am about to drop it into this one. Do it. What okay. happened? How did your ending uh, session go? Uh, it was, I feel like it It was kind of anticlimactic almost because we had to oh. like rush to like get to our party. Yeah. But it was, um, okay, so I guess this is a good tip for Dungeon Masters. If Don't create NPCs if, you, if you're not going to use them. Mm. Uh, I made one up because... It was, he was going to be a teacher that would travel with the students. And really, the intentions were good. I was going to use him to like help like literally learn the game because yeah. he could be like, pick a pocket, rogue. Or like, you know, this is what you do. Yeah. Um, but I forgot about him. And they, and I was just like, eh, screw it. We don't really need him. So at one point they were like, where's his, they called him Professor Dr. Lowe. That was what they named him. Where is he? And like he left, he went back to the school, and they were like, "He he just left us." And like, "Yep, he left you here on the island." Well, I thought for the last big battle, we're gonna like they're fighting a beholder, which they is obviously can't fight at level two. But I'm bringing Runara, you know, from Stormrack Isle, and the Griffins that they adopted. We're gonna help fight, and I thought this is a great time to bring back Professor Doctor Low. Yeah. So I tell them, like, and Professor Dr. Lowe is here. Okay. They literally stop. They go, what? Yeah, he's here. And they're like, where? Right here. And they go, you're a coward. How <laughs> dare you leave children on an island? You didn't know what we were going to get into. How dare you? And you just wow. abandoned us. And they attacked him. No. They murdered Professor Dr. Lowe, as Runara and the Beholder just looked on. The Beholder was like, uh, uh, I'm over here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to be fighting me. No. <laughs> they went savage, like Lord of the Flies, savage. They were like, every one of like It was the only time in 10 weeks I saw this entire group unanimously come together for one wow. thing. They were like, we hate you. How dare you? We were children. I'm like, Oh, they're wow, not that's wrong. A, that's some trauma. That, that, can we talk to Dr. Megan Carlin about this Get her now? back on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> I now have six patients for you. Wait, um, so did you did you say like, okay, the beholder's now on your side and I this know, guy's no, the big I bad. Sh- he went down so fast. Like, I didn't even have stats for him. I oh. thought it was like, oh, uh, yeah, he's, he did. You guys he's killed dead. him. You dead. He's got so your de- teacher oh, revenge. No. Bring him you back. Know, Oh my God, I just thought of what else they did. What? So they were carrying around that poison soil from the, the mushroom caves, from yeah, the sea yeah. caves. Yeah, yeah. So they, they stuffed it in Dr. Professor Lowe's mouth, like dead mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Okay, so he has to come back now uh, oh. when you run this session again. He's like no, going to be the big bad, he right? He can't because then they fed him to the beholder. Whoa. They had to like convince the beholder. Like one of them was like, I'm on your side and you're injured and you need healing. So here, take this husk of a body and and it gets some sustenance in your and he was like oh okay and he lost a bunch of hit points because he ate poison oh okay so that's actually really clever it was super clever but it was really dark and really gross that's so fun and then you're like let's eat cake (laughs) yeah and they're like it's time for cupcakes and accolades yay Yay. i just was really impressed with how you went up to that professor and called him a coward and (laughs) and then and then fed his dead body to a beholder (laughs) did they just see little shop of horrors at uh west seattle high school because i've forgotten how dark that uh Musical yeah. is if you're not touched yes. for it. And it's always like a high school musical too. It is always, always a high school musical, yeah. yeah. Well, then, so that happened. And then there was like this D&D party that was at the school that Bart, it was unsanctioned. Bart and I were not involved, but we ended up having to be involved because they didn't really, yeah. the teachers didn't really know what they were doing. Right. Anyway, like 35 kids. And again, more than half of them were girls. Great. Love that. And two of the kids DM'd and both of those kids wrote their own adventures. Sweet. Oh, that's it so was cool. Amazing. And then a super shy kid co-DM'd with me and she just was in her element. She was just nice. sitting on, on this beanbag with a DMG spread across her lap. She had the monster manual out. She was like, I want them to fight this thing. I'm like, that thing is really big and scary. She's like, I don't care. It's spoken right. like a true DM. Let's go. That's right. They anyway, figure it out. Anyway, that's great. You guys will all be happy to know my club is over until the fall, so I'm not going to talk about it anymore. I want to talk about it all the time as you're prepping for the next one in the fall. We'll do it. This one time when I was a dungeon master. (laughs) 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 I'm one of you now. You are. You love to talk about it. It's uh, You're going to go to conventions now and just tell all these stories to everybody that you meet. And they're going to be like, we already heard it on Dragon Talk. <laughs> Shut up. Stop talking about it. They want to hear it again it. in person from you. That's in my be... Bert voice. Yes, exactly. I never once used Bert's voice, by the way. Never. You kind of did a little bit with the beholder there. We were like, uh, okay. <laughs> Pigeons. Uh. Maybe that's a, uh, a, a Beavis and Butthead voice. Bert, Bert the beholder. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. And one of them did cut off his eye stock and smack him with it. That's all they wanted to do. They there did. Was like, they and then she did. To, she kept it as a souvenir. This, I, I, seeing the imagination sing like this uh, with all these stories is why we do what we do. It gets, I mean, they're dark. They're dark little scary children, but they're wonderful <laughs> and I love them. Every little I just, bit of them. I, it makes like when they are like, yeah, I'm going to cut off its eye stock and smack them in the face with it. I'm like, yes, you are. How could you not? And I can't wait to recap this and send it to your parents. Oh, (laughs) Oh, wait, just kidding. No, I do. Every week I send the parents, this is what happened. And I hope you're proud of your children. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, don't betray them ever. Right. Don't be a coward and leave them on an island. Uh, There's there's consequences to your actions. Dr. Professor Tom or whatever it is. Dr. Professor Lowe. Professor Lowe. Dang. That's mm-hmm. so fun. I'm I'm uh, very excited that you had this Thanks. experience, Shelley. It feels, again, like a culmination of everything we've been doing on Dragon Talk for so you long. You all so. didn't think I was listening, but I really was. You were. I was. I was listening to you all. 
If you want to find out how you can inflict all of this uh, drama and danger upon children, adults, anyone <laughs> that you're playing with, um, go to dndbeyond.com, start playing and get everything you can from there. They're all the information from um, D&D Direct is on there as well as the uh, free uh, of no cost to you uh, resources like the Monstrous Compendium and getting Minecraft um, mobs in your D&D game as well as the character sheets for the D&D movie characters that you can sprinkle yes. in if you get people excited to jump in and play a game after they see the movie, which we are 99.9999% sure is going to happen to every single one of you listening to this right now. For sure. Make it happen. Um, follow along me at Greg Tito uh, on Twitter and uh, underscore Tito on Instagram. And uh, what about you? Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Shelly Moo. Moo. I was on your website. Lots of recaps uh, on what? there as well as fun writing. Uh, you Why? got a lot of stuff up there. Why were you One on my plays website? And, and mm. short stories and things. That's so cool. I didn't oh, realize yeah. You had, put it uh, all up there. Put it all up there. I'm gonna, get up. Get after it, people. Get to ShellyMassonoble.com and get some free reading in there. <laughs> Do you have to say Dat Cam? Dat Cam. Bab Dat Cam. It's like a Midwestern accent oh, in there. Wasn't it great to see Bab on D&D Direct, too? It was so great to see Bab. Uh, <laughs> I do love a Bob. And, that, you know, he's telling stories that he's told us so many times. It's so great to be able to I be know. like, oh, yeah, well, I knew that. Yeah. Bab. I knew that he had to come up with that name uh, in, the, in a meeting on the fly and then he couldn't spell it. <laughs> he's told us that before. When in doubt, just add a bunch of apostrophes and consonants. <laughs> Menzo Baranzen. Mm. So cool. Uh, so yeah, let's get into what's happening with Drunky Two Shoes on the Radiant Citadel. You have made it to the Radiant Citadel itself uh, with your cohorts. Yep. I'm getting a book behind me, so that's why my audio changed for a moment. Um, but yeah, you got there and the guards, said, you said that you wanted to go talk to Shola. Um, Shola. And uh, they told you that she was... Disappeared. She's gone. She's left. Okay. You can't speak to her right now. I'm sorry. Did I do an insight check? No. Previously, I'd now. like to do that because right. I don't. I don't know. Go ahead. Roll me some insight. Uh, fifteen. Fifteen. Um, they seem like they're being sincere with you, but also there's a bit of um, uh, just like a undercurrent of nervousness uh, from from the guard. Okay. So I'm gonna go. Get in that guard's face. Okay. And just go, did it happen? Did what happen? You know. I, that, you know. I, I, I don't know. And he's looked at his at his uh, cohort. Uh, can you, you please guys, call, call, your, call, call the guard? We you need are the guard. Why are you in my face? I just, I don't want them to hear. Hear what? Tell me what happened or show Why me. are you, this... All I smell is alcohol on you. Go I, back to the bar where you came from. Oh, that's a good idea. I need Shola, and I know you know what happened. She's not here. I don't know what happened. But you look freaked out. I am freaked out. We've never just had a speaker leave like this before. Did she leave or did she disappear? We don't know. Was there a sign of struggle? N no sign. And then uh, uh, he's 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 like trying to look at for 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 backup and the guard that he there's two there were two guards there one of them after he said get help ran inside uh, okay. and then that guard comes back with uh, someone who has the same kind of guard outfit but has a little bit more 
regalia and insignia and says, yes, what can I, what can I help you with? I'm looking for Shola. You, you can't just lose her. You can't just lose a speaker. We don't know where she is. I'll handle it from here. Come on. So I, t- I said that to my party. Come on, guys. And I try to burst through. <laughs> okay. Uh, he says, no, hold. And uh, they, they, put, they put their spears uh, horizontally and say, no, hold back. No, we're conducting our own investigation. I take out my ice knife. <laughs> <gasps> okay. Uh, yeah, I just go. You, you cast ice like, knife? Yep. Okay. Sink. And then and what do you do? I try to cut that spear in half. Bing! All right, let's uh, let's roll initiative. Oh shit! Oops, sorry. What'd you get? Initiative. I rolled yeah. a twelve. All right, you go first. So yeah, you you try to slash the Bing! spear in half. Yes, yes. With your ice knife. Yes. Uh, okay. Roll to attack. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna make it a little bit difficult because it is a a spear that's not meant to be slashed in half like that. But seventeen. 17 is a hit. Roll me me damage. See if you are successful in breaking it. That is going to be a four. Four? Okay, so your ice knife uh, really hits it resoundingly. And he's like, he's surprised. And the spear kind of buckles a little bit, but it holds tight. And he says, what are you doing? I get, I cast ice knife when I get angry. And all of your cohorts around you are, they're, they're backing up a little bit. They're like, whoa, whoa, we didn't want to get into a fight with the guard right away. And that's what Samson says. He's like, please, I, maybe, they're, maybe they can help us. We should not be attacking them. I'm offering my help. I would like to find Shola. And Samson looks to uh, the old woman uh, who uh, says, why did you get, well, Samson says, why did you give her so much alcohol? She's like, she gave it to me. And she <laughs> swings her sword and tries to break the, the spear in half as well. She rolls a 19. And I turn around to Samson and I say, I'm sober, asshole. <laughs> the spear breaks uh, oh with um, uh, the old woman. And she says, that's why they call me Blade of Spring. And oh, thank God we know her name. Cuts it in half and... We'll fade out there as there's a fracas in front of the Radiant Citadel. I feel like I have found my person. <laughs> she is ready I to... I am never... I'm just like, heck yeah. She's Let's ready go, to be Blade your, of Spring. Uh, your, your, uh, you know, your, your, your goblin of mm. instant gratification. Blade of Spring or B-O-S or Boss. That's right. Boom, shagalaga. Boom, <laughs> Boss. <laughs> And drunk on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> that's so fun. Oh, that's good. Good stuff. Thank you. Yay! We'll see what happens after you get into a uh, interplane uh, incident here. Interplaner incident. Oopsie. Oopsie. This is what you love to do. Yes, I love the chaos. It feels so good. Chaos monkeys. See, this is what Megan was talking about. This is it. it just feels freeing and good to just just start a fight with some guards that you would never do in real life, but you can no. do now. But I am going to go to the grocery store after this, and there is a security guard there, and I might just like shove him a little when I walk past. <laughs> <laughs> and this was the last episode of Dragon Talk, as Shelly is now in jail. Welcome to Prison Talk. <laughs> <laughs>